Hi there, I'm AR and this is the 27th log and the fourth introduction on Pokemon's first first franchise I'm covering for the start of the second season. Welcome to the Lore Research Lab. Today's thesis, what is there to know about Pokemon? It's time to deep dive, folks. All right, let's start off with a bottled history about Pokemon. We're gonna try this, okay? This is a franchise that operates under the Pokemon Company, a multimedia franchise that has been around since, roughly speaking, 1996. But I guess development and stuff was happening years prior. 1996 is when the world was welcomed to Pokemon. This company was founded by Nintendo along with the help of their primary developers known as Game Freak. Within this multimedia franchise includes the popular and well-known anime, the trading cards, and the media the lab will be focusing on, the games. The primary focus in terms of the research done here at the Lore Research Lab will focus on the core series games, which I will define in a second. There's gonna be a lot of defining in this episode. I'm gonna, I'm here trying my very best. First off, what are Pokemon? Pokemon or pocket monsters are creatures you can find and capture in these games who will aid you in your journey as you travel throughout the world of a given game. Pokemon are based off of actual animals in a lot of cases, as well as inanimate objects showcasing a variety of designs. Players use Pokeballs, these type of, it's like a type of round capsule thing that tra traps, quotation marks, traps the Pokemon and kind of domesticates them in the way, in a way, I don't know the best way to explain this without sounding mildly problematic. The ethics of Pokemon have been kind of up for debate from time to time, I, I, I guess, but that's how it works. It's like having a pet, but it's like kind of strong or something. I, I don't know, it's like something like that. The core series games refers to the mainstream games, um, which are role-playing adventure games featuring a given region to explore. Interest interestingly, the early games were actually based off of geographical regions in Japan itself. So I thought that that's an interesting creative take. Um, these games are divided up into generations. And this is a word I'm gonna be throwing around a lot. So put a pin on that. They are divided up into generations, acting as a kind of genealogy for these core games. So when certain games are released, they are attributed to a generation. Generation one began in 1996 with the release of Pokemon Red and Blue and we are currently in Generation 8 with the 2019 release of Pokemon Sword and Shield. What this means is that per generation, roughly you have two to four games, give or take, that operate within the same technical parameters. So in terms of hardware, they all will maybe look a little bit similar, but the storylines will maybe be a, be a bit different. Um, in any case, this distinction of generation associates certain Pokemon with a certain region, a certain game, so on, all that kind of stuff. The exclusivity of certain Pokemon is a separate discussion, but here's here's a big number to drop, all right, folks? As of this recording, there are currently 896 Pokemon in existence. That's right, 896 Pokemon in existence. What the heck? Each generation usually introduces new Pokemon to appear alongside the ones that already exist, which adds to the novelty of Pokemon itself. If you have these kind of creature things that you can have as pets, it, you're not going to want to have the same looking ones over and over again. 
maybe some designs are recycled here and there, but each generation always adds new Pokemon, whatever that, whatever that number is. The series was featured on handheld consoles from 1996 up until 2019, when it was announced that the core series games would be continued on the Nintendo Switch. I'm gonna get into a bit more detail on um, console history for the Pokemon franchise. That's its own thing, but that's coming up later. There's kind of like a linear, like a linear progression from game to game, which is visible in terms of the hardware and graphics most notably. That's how you can tell that it's like, oh yeah, this this is what was happening in this year between this year, this console for that year, like all those kind of logistics. Differences between generations um, are usually the improved graphics, but again, mostly the addition of new Pokemon, sometimes some added features to the games. So spicing up the formula a little bit, and I'll talk about that too. Um, so, you know, let's let's get into the basics of Pokemon. The creatures themselves, how they function in the games. Be prepared, it's gonna be a lot of information. Pokemon, for the most part, are unique in design and are distinguishable from one another. You would hope that's the case considering, as I've said, there are 896 Pokemon in existence. Keep in mind that since 1996, I've briefly mentioned that, the games have added features, functions, and other mechanics that somewhat tweak the baseline formula. There is a formula to how Pokemon games work, that is a fact, and I'm going to be reviewing the basic formula in its simplest form. Simple in like heavy quotations. Um, uh, and this is the formula that applies to the core series games. Let's get into it. So first question, what kind of Pokemon can you find? Will Pokemon come in all shapes, forms, sizes, colors, blah, 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 each with unique abilities and characteristics? What information are players given about the Pokemon? A lot. And for the sake of this episode, I'm going to try and condense that information. It's not going to go very well because there's just so much to cover. But we, we got it. We got to get into the, the nitty gritty details, you know? The player from a menu where they can see their party, which refers to the Pokemon the player has with them on their person, players can learn everything they need to know about the Pokemon they have with them. For example, all Pokemon are gendered as male or female, but some Pokemon actually don't have a gender. So that's like, it's information like that. Some I guess notable bits of information that the player is given include level, hit points, moves, abilities, and what I'll informally call stats. So level refers to what level a Pokemon is, which is one of many measures of strength in this game. Uh, the lowest level a Pokemon can be is level one, the highest being level 100. You're never going to encounter a level one Pokemon in the wild, and you're never gonna encounter a level on a level 100, I don't believe, to, to my understanding. Um, the levels of certain Pokemon in terms of how you find them, and I'm gonna explain this in a bit, um, how you find them, it varies from uh, areas of a region. You go to one place, the Pokemon will be maybe relatively low leveled. You get farther through the game where things become more difficult, things will be higher leveled, it's pretty logical. Hit points, or health points as I like to call them, tell you how much health a Pokemon has. Um, so uh, I, I, I will also, I'm, t I'm telling you a lot of the, I'm, I'm just throwing around a lot of these terms right now, it will be explained. Um, 
Moves. Moves are something a Pokemon will always have. Every Pokemon in existence can only learn up to four moves maximum. We'll, we'll get to that too. Sorry, you're going to be hearing me say that a lot. Abilities are unique traits associated with a given Pokemon, which can usually assist you in battle. Sometimes the ability disadvantages the opponent, or maybe it advantages the player's Pokemon. Stats show how strong a Pokemon is in the following categories based on designated number values. So there's HP or hit points. You have attack, defense, special attack, special defense, and speed. So just put a pin on this whole spiel that I just went on. We'll be semi-returning to that in a bit. So are there distinguishing attributes to a Pokemon? Well, yes. Every Pokemon has what is called a type, referring to an element or characteristic that basically defines their existence. There are currently 18 types in existence. We got fire, water, grass, electric, bug, flying, normal, ghost, psychic, dark, fighting, fairy, dragon, steel, ground, rock, poison, and ice. I don't expect anyone to remember all of those types and the names and stuff. Most of them are elemental, but you, you just need to know that they exist. You can also look up Pokemon types. Um, it is usually common to find Pokemon that have what's called dual typing, which means they have two types. A common example is bug flying or maybe normal flying. Um, but typically you still will find Pokemon that only have one type. So you might be asking why I'm telling you all of this in terms of all those like the stats, health, hit points, like all that kind of technical information. Pokemon serve this purpose of being your, your bat battle, co combat pets. Essentially, with Pokemon, you are expected to battle other Pokemon in two kinds of scenarios that lead to the player building a strong team. Six. One scenario involves wild battles. These entail Pokemon the player can find in a field of grass. Pokemon, much like actual wildlife and fauna, live in varying habitats, so only some Pokemon can be found in certain areas. Let's say, for example, the player walks into a patch of wild grass and is suddenly attacked by a Pokemon. This initiates a turn-based combat sequence requiring a succession of decisions from the player. The player, using their own Pokemon, can try and determine the course of battle uh, with this situation presented to them. If this is a Pokemon the player has never seen before, it is usually in their interest to catch it. And there are ways, there, there's an economy in every Pokemon game. You can buy items. So if you need more Pokeballs, for example, you just need to have enough money to buy more. So you, you have opportunities to catch. Players are provided with four options in this turn-based combat sequence. Fight, bag, Pokemon, and run. Let's unpack those terms right now. So fight. This refers to the player being able to choose um, what moves their Pokemon that is currently out uh, facing the opponent, as in the wild Pokemon, if you will. Um, the Pokemon can, uh, can attack the opponent by selecting one of four moves, depending on the nature of the move. So moves can vary a lot. Uh, some do damage, others lower stats. Some moves can do damage and even have a chance to lower a stat all at once, but sometimes that's based off of factors like luck. Um, but 
moves as, as just a general point, they vary in nature and the player must strategize what to do based on the move properties and whether or not they would like to defeat the Pokemon or catch the Pokemon. So it's a, it's a very subjective choice. You got to decide your course of action um, in, the, in this situation. Do you fight? Do you not fight? It's those kind of options. Bag. Players have a bag that acts as this kind of endless storage system for a variety of items that can be acquired in the game. This is the option players select if they need a healing item to heal up their own Pokemon. Let's say if, if your Pokemon's taken damage, you gotta heal that up. Or maybe to select Pokeballs if you're ready to capture the Pokemon. The tutorial phase in every Pokemon game always instructs the player that you gotta lower the wild Pokemon's health just enough so that way it's weak, but it's not fainted. If a Pokemon ever faints, it can't fight. So you don't want to do that when you're trying to catch something. Sometimes using items from the bag mid-battle can be helpful for the player. Pokemon. This option refers to the menu that shows all the Pokemon the player has on their person at the time of battle. So you can only have a maximum of six Pokemon in your party. So sometimes players can switch, can decide to switch to another Pokemon on the team that they think might be able to handle the battle better. Again, referring to this option is through a process of strategy. If you're confident with whoever's already out in battle, then there's no reason to change. But again, it's this process of strategy. Finally, run. If the player has no interest in confronting the wild Pokemon, they can leave. If the player successfully runs from battle, the combat sequence ends and the players return to the overworld. So this is a criteria for wild battles, but the majority of the, the I guess the sorry, not majority, the major type of battle players encounter in a Pokemon game are what's called trainer battles. Broadly speaking, this is a more this is more competitive in nature and the player has less options to choose from in a manner of speaking. Throughout the region in a given Pokemon game are other trainers like the player who have a Pokemon ready for battle. Sometimes they might just have one on their team, sometimes they might have three, sometimes they might have a full team of six. If a trainer infamously locks eyes with the player's avatar, it initiates this battle. This is a battle you can't run from, so once you're in the battle, you're stuck and the goal is to beat the trainer. Beating the opponent results in prize money and your pride retained. The earlier mentioned options operate the same for the most part, but it's these kinds of battles where I'm, I was mentioning that process of strategy, it's these kinds of battles that challenge what players know. You know, questions like, do you know type advantages and weaknesses? Are you keeping track of the levels? Questions like this circulate in this space, as it were. Players should be subconsciously keeping these things um, in the back of their head. Because, you know, if you're a level five, you're facing a level seven of whatever it is, and you're already technically lower, so the math about how much damage you do and stuff like that, it's like, it's, it's, it's it is what it is. <clears throat> Let us now ask a more basic question. Are there Pokemon out there considered more unique than others? The answer to that is yes. Out of the 896 in existence, 57 of those Pokemon are known as legendaries. These are Pokemon that are usually based on mythological creatures, um, tend to be large in size, are very powerful, and only one of each is in existence. Especially in the earlier games, legendary Pokemon kind of operate within like some kind of grand cosmic order that has like great bearing on the mortal world. It's like whatever this legendary Pokemon does, it affected like a whole generation of people or some crap like that. All Pokemon within this 
term of legendary are not necessarily by default stronger than all other Pokemon in existence, but among the legendaries are some Pokemon that are ridiculously powerful. Legendaries are always marketed for the games, uh, like from each generation, meaning that the Pokemon that you see on the cover art, like the box art of a given game, is the legendary Pokemon you will find in that game. So for the most part, you can always tie certain legendary Pokemon to a specific game. So this is a very important point to bring up folks, this next thing. What is Pokemon evolution? Pokemon are diverse creatures and the majority of them don't stay in a single form. The typical prerequisite for a Pokemon evolving usually involves reaching a certain level, which then marks the immediate transition from one form to the next. It's like you reach level 36, for example, the Pokemon can evolve. But there are sometimes other requirements for evolving a Pokemon, so I'm going to talk about those requirements down here, right, right now, here, these categories. First off, uh, there are Pokemon that do not evolve. Most legendary Pokemon fall into this category, but this is also the case for Pokemon in general. These Pokemon, regardless of level, will always remain in the form they were found in. Pokemon that evolve only once. This means the first form of this Pokemon can change once. Uh, when the necessary requirements are fulfilled, this Pokemon will evolve into this new second form and will remain as such forever. Third, Pokemon that evolve twice. This refers to Pokemon that have two other stages of evolution as opposed to just one stage like the previous category. Once the requirements are met for each stage, the Pokemon will change from its first form to its second form, and in later succession, change from its second form to its third and final form. Number four, Pokemon that evolve through trading. This is one of those requirements I, like it's, it's one of those requirements, you know? Um, whether they evolve once or more than once, Sometimes certain Pokemon need to be traded in order to evolve. This means finding a friend or draining your bank account to trade with yourself. So someone else has to have a game from the same generation and have the corresponding console in order to facilitate this whole thing of trading. Um, yeah, Nintendo is holding my bank account hostage, so I picked the latter option. Number five, Pokemon that evolve with the use of an item. There are a number of items that fall under this category, but sometimes in order to evolve uh, um, a Pokemon, it requires the use of an item to activate the transformation rather than leveling it up. So in most cases, it could be any level. And so long as you have the correct item and use it on the Pokemon, it will um, evolve. In some other cases, a Pokemon can only evolve it as if it is holding an item and is then traded. Um, but I'll, I'll get into that uh, in a bit. Number six, Pokemon that evolve through friendship. Though this is a heartfelt notion, this is arguably the most tedious method of evolution. Some Pokemon require a high friendship level in order to evolve. And more often than not, this is a value players are not given con concrete information on in that you don't have a number value to tie to it. You don't necessarily know how much longer you have to wait until you've reached that high enough friendship level for the Pokemon to evolve. However, there are some ways to speed up this process, um, which players can become familiar with. But anyways, um, there are some variants on these categories. It's not like these are six 
fixed categories, not necessarily like the only ones. I'm kind of skipping past certain details, but these are the kind of known methods of evolution in a Pokemon game that allow for players to acquire stronger Pokemon naturally. Knowing whether or not something evolves is sometimes helpful for the player and helps to guide them whether or not they want to use that Pokemon or not. It's up to them. Here's one question to ask. Can every Pokemon be acquired in a single Pokemon game? Absolutely not. The games themselves have software that allows you to trade across generations, um, though trading back is not possible. For example, if you want to trade from generation three to generation four game, you can't try and trade it back to generation three. This is to say that Pokemon found in one game do not uniformly carry over to another game, which is the case for most of the older games. And I think it's also a bit of like hardware limitations. There is something called version exclusives, which refers to a select number of Pokemon available in a given Pokemon game. To better explain this, I'll be using the case study example of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, two games that come from generation three, which is like 2002 to 2004, roughly speaking. In Ruby, you can catch C Dot, which it looks like a C, like a little acorn thing. You can catch this Pokemon called C Dot. In Sapphire, you can catch Lotad, which is like this slightly amphibian looking like thing with a leaf on its head. I don't know, I think it's cute. Sea Dot is not available in Sapphire and Lotat is not available in Ruby. So the subtle incentive of Pokemon marketing is that the idea that you get both games in order to catch every Pokemon in that generation. If you want that Lotad, you need to have Sapphire or need to be friends with someone who owns Sapphire, that kind of idea. Um, the same can be said for legendaries. Buying Pokemon Sapphire, for example, means you're, you are committed to getting the legendary Oracle-like Pokemon known as Kyogre. If you want the giant lizard-like Pokemon known as Groudon, you need to get Ruby. So there's Groudon and Pokemon Ruby and Kyogre and Pokemon Sapphire. You don't get both of those Pokemon in both of the games. They're only one in one of them and one in the other. Finally, I guess you could say, what is technically the main goal of a core series Pokemon game? It's a bit of a loaded question. And to answer this, you'll hear about it in the next, in the following topics. But I guess the primary marketed goal of a Pokemon game is to complete the Pokedex. You might now be asking what the heck is a Pokedex and I'm glad you asked. A Pokedex is a device given to the player early in the game, which is an, ele an electronic encyclopedic device that records information on every Pokemon the player has caught. If the Pokemon has encountered a Pokemon but hasn't caught it, there is no information provided. So you have its name and you know what it looks like, but you don't have any, any other uh, more detailed information. Which is why players are incentivized to catch as many Pokemon as possible, because completing the Pokedex means that in one way or another, you, you have successfully caught and seen everything in the land. It's not like in order to beat the game, you need to complete the Pokedex. It's just one of those kind of main objectives and incentives, and it gives the player something to do while doing a bunch of other things in the game. Um, so, you know, now it's time to talk about the games themselves, the games, I guess, format, story, all those little details. But first, let's start off with the console history and some basic information about controls. Okay, 
So in order to understand the controls of a Pokemon game, we need to go through the history of Pokemon in terms of the consoles the games appeared on. So starting from 1996, the Pokemon franchise began on the handheld device known as the Nintendo Game Boy. So Generation 1 was a fairly low-tech game, wasn't a lot of colors, the sound the sound tech was, it is what it is. By Generation 2 and 3, we saw the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance, two consoles that improved the hardware of the original Game Boy. They were like a bit of a step up in terms of uh, graphics and things like that. So from 1996 to, I guess, 2004, um, you were seeing like a gradual progression across hardware. The, the consoles themselves though are very similar, um, technically speaking, in that you have one screen, a control, bad, a control pad, and a couple buttons. 2006 was a turning point when Generation 4 rolled around, inaugurating the new console of the Nintendo DS. The DS introduced the double screen, so one functioning as the main screen for gameplay, which would be the top screen, the other functioning as a touchscreen, which is on the bottom of the console. Uh, the DS also had at least two more buttons added to the hardware. So though these new developments may have only marginally changed the controls, the graphics were steadily increasing and more color was added over time. Pokemon only appeared as sprites um, and battle animations were fixed in nature, meaning there was a kind of back and forth aspect to battling. It was very stagnant. I wouldn't say rigid because it's still very dynamic. I, I personally still very much enjoy playing the old games. There's a kind of charm to the graphics and the little designs they have for what an attack looks like. And it's all, it's all, it's all really, really cool stuff. It's, it's very nostalgic in a lot of ways, but that's how those games operated. Though the consoles had not changed drastically since the, I guess the runtime of the DS consoles or similar consoles include like the DSi and things like that. Generation five saw a slight change in graphics in 2010 which showcased a more uh, move towards 3D modeling. It's a gradual one though. Pokemon from 1996 to 2009 were pixelated with only slight graphic, slight graphic textures indicating shadows and 3D effects. But the games from generation five actively displayed an effort to move towards proper 3D modeling. Uh, it was a bit of a weird blend of 3D and 2D though. Generation 5 also experimented a bit more in battle animations, showing the Pokemon move while in battle, which hadn't been done before. So as opposed to just appearing as like this stagnant image, they were actually kind of moving around a little bit. But all of this, all of these developments that were happening in Generation 5 set the groundwork for the development of Pokemon X and Y, the first games of Generation 6 in 2013. This is the first Pokemon game that used 3D modeling textures, marking a departure from the 2D graphics in prior installments of Pokemon, and also a departure from sprite artwork. This change was done through the introduction of a new kind of DS known as a 3DS, which it's just an enhanced DS. Um, adding a 3D feature to any Nintendo games played on the console. So you turn that up and get this kind of like augmented, I wouldn't say augmented augmented reality, but it's like, it's 3D, so it pops out. I'm not good with words. Um, this meant that the overworld was more immersive in a sense, and Pokemon were now 3D modeled with proper animations as they moved in battle. And this is a permanent change, by the way. 
Following Generation 6, Generation 7 saw an improvement of the 3D graphics first introduced in Generation 6, showing a more developed and polished overworld. The anatomy for the character artwork and things like that was a bit more precise, more cinematic cutscenes, and emotions from characters in the games were a lot more apparent. It was just, you could say, a bit more cleaned up. Uh, Generation 6 looks a bit more experimental in its appearance compared to what we see in Generation 7. There is a difference between the two generations uh, graphics-wise. Finally, in Generation 8, this is the current generation of Pokemon. This is the first time since, I guess, roughly speaking, since 2004, the Pokemon franchise has properly departed from one console to move the games to another, a whole other console. First, it was the Game Boy series to the DS series. Now we're seeing the Pokemon games be distributed on the Nintendo Switch, a console introduced in 2017. In 2019, Pork, Pork? Pokemon Sword and Shield were introduced to the world, adding in some new game mechanics, um, a proper departure from pixelated graphics, so they, they look smoother. Um, I wouldn't say the changes were drastic, per se. It's not drastically different from Generation 7 in terms of, you could say, the quality of the graphics, but the world looks bigger, and I think that's simply by the nature of the Switch having a... It's a bigger screen, processors are different. I'm not a tech whiz or anything like that, but... Eh, eh. Anyways. That is, I guess you could say, Pokemon console history. But what about the controls themselves? Um, admittedly, I don't have much to say on this just because between all the consoles, the, the controls are really similar, but they're also very basic. This has um, more to do with gameplay, but in this role-playing adventure game, players are expected to adventure through a region from a given game, catch as many Pokemon as possible, and follow the storyline provided to complete certain objectives, all in service to beating the game. And, you know, you have, certain but you have a button designated for enter, a button designated for back. You also have some buttons that allow you to shortcut. So it's like if you want to, for example, register an item, a key item, uh, then there's a button for that. Uh, but the controls themselves are actually quite basic and not demanding because Pokemon, the core series games by nature, don't require immediate action. And what I mean by that is you don't have to worry about things that happen in the moment. Um, you can take your time with things, you can walk through it. There's no like pressure to finish something on a, like by a certain time. There's no time limit to doing things. It's the kind of game that you can meander through and just take at your own pace. But we're going to talk about gameplay and the story and all those other kind of additional aspects to a Pokemon game in a bit more detail now. Alright, so I have tried to the best of my abilities to summarize the key aspects about Pokemon as in the creatures themselves and things such as battling. I know it's a lot of technical information, but it's all necessary to understanding stuff that'll come after this episode, for example. So I've thrown around the word region a lot, and it's about time I properly address that, define that, along with the main objectives of a typical core series Pokemon game. So let's begin with geography. What exactly is a region? In each core series game, there is a new region for each of them. 
giving them each fairly unique environments and also to maintain that every Pokemon game has a sense of being fresh because if you just had everything happening in the same region, regardless of new Pokemon being added, it wouldn't feel like the players are experiencing anything new or that areas look different. You gotta keep it, you gotta keep it interesting, right? So that's why you, there's eight regions in existence. I'll list them off right now for reference. So in Generation 1, we have Kanto. In Generation 2, we have Johto. In Generation 3, we have Hoenn. In Generation 4, we have Sinnoh. In Generation 5, we have Unova. In Generation 6, we have Kalos. In Generation 7, we have Alola. And finally, in Generation 8, we have Galar. Um, so I believe the first four regions are actually based on actual regions or something like that in Japan, which makes sense. Um, but go uh, like from generation five onwards, we see influences from other lands like geographies, um, places, whatever. So Unova is actually based off of the, I guess, city planning of New York. Kalos has French motifs and even uses French spelling and pronunciation for the names of um, towns and cities. Alola is similar to um, Hawaii in its geography. And the most recent installment sees Galar, uh, which is a, a region that is almost exact, like it mimics almost like spot on the geography of the United Kingdom. Uh, Kanto and Johto, I'm just going to address real quick. This is more of a fun fact. Um, uh, they're interesting uh, regions to bring up since they are the only two regions across the eight generations to be conjoined. So the games from Generation 2, Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal, um, are, I think, the like they act as almost like a direct sequel to um, Pokemon Red and Blue, so the games from Generation 1. And I believe the Generation 2 games are the only Pokemon games so far that actually directly address the things that happen um, in the previous game. Like you see a lot of characters come back from uh, that first game. There's subtle references to the events of, the of like Red and Blue, for example. So I, that's really interesting. In any case, um, the games, other than those of Generation 2, limit the player's experience to these regions depending on the game the player owns. Uh, so the story, characters, all that, it can all vary. This is to say, though, if you are playing Pokemon Ruby or Sapphire, for example, it's still in Hoenn, right? That's still It's still Hoenn for both games. But if you're playing, for example, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl from Generation 4, that's Sinnoh. So uh, you get Hoenn in like those two games, and then you get Sinnoh in the other two games. So if you own Pokemon Diamond or Pearl, you're gonna be playing in Sinnoh. You own Pokemon Ruby or Sapphire, you're gonna be playing in Hoenn, that kind of thing. So this leads me to the next kind of major point of interest, if you will, objectives. What are players expected to do and how do you beat the game? What exactly does that entail? So if you remember earlier when I mentioned the Pokedex, I said that this was a loaded question and you're gonna hear why now. The main objectives of a Pokemon game are in intertwined with its characters, Pokemon themselves, and the journey the player embarks on, which means I need to break down these objectives step by step. And there's like subsections sub sub to all these steps. It's really messy, all right? But here we go, okay? First, one main objective, 
beat the Pokemon League. The Pokemon League is a collective of powerful trainers that are found in the region and are among some of the measures of strength and progress in this game. What this means is that it, when you're progressing through the game, it's almost like there's these checkpoints. Beating that will help you progress farther through the game and also helps the player to know how strong their team is, things like that. The Pokemon League is composed of two echelons or ranks of trainers. Gym leaders and the elite floor, elite floor, <laughs> the elite four plus the champion. So there's a lot of terms going to be thrown around here, but bear with me. So gym leaders, right? First off, what is a gym? Let's define Pokemon gym first. A gym is, uh, it's a facility, usually with some kind of puzzle solving arrangement. Um, it's an arena that players can find in select cities in a given region. In this gym, you'll find trainers and its constituent gym leader. So it is a matter of hierarchy. You have trainers that are not quite as strong as the gym leader, but they are maybe a bit of a challenge. You got to face them. And then there's the gym leader, who's obviously the strongest trainer you will face in the entire gym. To beat a gym, the player must, as I said, beat the trainers in the gym, solve whatever puzzle there is to, um, whatever there is to solve, because sometimes it's not a straightforward linear path in order to beat the trainers and then beat the gym leader. Sometimes there's some extra extra steps you need to take. And then finally, beat the gym leader. That's how you beat a gym. So now let's define gym leaders. So as you travel throughout the region of a given game, there is always a story to follow. But concurrent to the story is the goal to beat the Pokemon League, right? The major tests of strength that stand in the player's way of advancing farther in the game are these powerful trainers known as gym leaders. There are a total of eight gym leaders in a region, each succeeding the previous leader in levels and strength. The more gym leaders the player defeats, the farther the player progresses through the game. The role of gym leaders in the actual story vary from game to game, um, but they're important from a gameplay standpoint. So in some games, the gym leader is actually semi-involved in the story. Sometimes you see them outside of their gym and they're actually talking to other characters, but sometimes that's the only time you'll actually ever see the gym leader. So again, it varies from game to game. Uh, each gym leader specializes in, specializes in one type of Pokemon. But don't forget that Pokemon often have a second typing. So usually as the player progresses through the game, adjusting to the gym leader's team becomes a bit more of a challenge. There's a bit more to, to think about. It, it'll probably start off at the beginning of the game being fairly straightforward. Um, and then as you get farther in, it becomes a little bit more complex. So let's use the example of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl from Generation 4 to explain some gym leaders. So. I'm just gonna list off some names here. So for example, the first gym leader players face um, in Sinnoh is Rourke, who specializes in using rock type Pokemon. Next is Gardenia, who specializes in using grass type Pokemon. Then there's Maylene, who specializes in fighting type Pokemon. Then there's Crasher Wake, who specializes in water type Pokemon. And then there's Fantina, who specializes in ghost type Pokemon and so on. So, uh, as you can see, each of these leaders specialize in different types, and I've numbered them in numerical order. This is the the gym leaders as they appear in the game. So you'll face Rourke first, then whatever stuff happens in between. After that, you'll face Gardenia. Then after that, you'll face um, Maylene. Like it, it would go in that order. But as you can see, there's they all use different types, so they're specializing in different things, and it's important for the player to adjust to having this information on them. 
Upon beating a gym leader, players are rewarded with a gym badge, which is like this material signifier of your progress um, in beating the Pokemon League. Um, in the menu screen, you can check on this it's not so much an item as it is a like thing you can select in the menu, um, which is you can look at your trainer card, which shows you how much money you have, how long you've been playing the game for, your name. It's like an ID card, basically. And you can look at the number of badges you have acquired um, on, this, on this card. Um, in order to face the trainers in the upper echelon or the upper ranks is required that these eight gym leaders are beat first. So this brings us to the elite four. After beating the eight gyms in the region and progressing, you know, through the story, doing all that, all that stuff, the player is expected to head towards the home of the Pokemon League, which is uh, usually preceded by a large area known as Victory Road, which is usually some kind of like deep cave path it's a like a maze tons of trainers and stuff to face so it isn't fun after getting through this area the player arrives at the building housing this higher rank of trainers known as the elite four much like the gym leader the elite four are four powerful trainers that tend to specialize in a single type but are significantly more powerful than the eighth gym leader as an example the thing about the Pokemon League is once you enter, you cannot leave. So players need to ensure that they know exactly which Pokemon they're going to use, having enough healing items, making sure their like the level of the Pokemon are high enough. Like you got to take all those things into consideration. Other than the healing items the player has in their bag, there are no chances in between the Elite Four to heal up your team fully. So again, this process can be challenging because you face each of the four Elite Four members in succession. So you beat one, you get like a room in between, go to the next room, face the next one. Repeat the process until you beat all four. And if you do beat all four, it brings you to the room with the champion. So every region has has every region has what is called a champion, who is arguably the strongest trainer, if not the strongest trainer in the entire region. Their level surpass that of the Elite Four preceding them, and their team, unlike the gym leaders in Elite Four, tend to be full of uh, different type Pokemon, meaning they won't have one kind of weakness. So let's use the example of fire, for example, because there is in, for example, Diamond and Pearl, an Elite Four member who specializes in using fire Pokemon. Fire has a cer has certain number of weaknesses. For example, water is a big one of those weaknesses. It has more, but we're just going to use the example of water. The champion, they might have a fire type on their team, but that doesn't mean they only use fire types. They'll have other types of Pokemon on their team, which means you can't just rely on maybe the water type Pokemon that you have to try and beat the champion. It's that kind of uh, mentality, if you will. So since the champion's team tends to be quite balanced and they usually have a full team of six, this poses as the ultimate challenge for the player. However, beating the champion means beating the game. So there's obviously a high risk, high reward situation. Occasionally, the champion happens to appear in the story as a supporting character, like they'll pop up, you'll meet them as you're traveling from one place to the next. And it's usually like heavily foreshadowed um, by other characters or by the way that they talk that they're a very important trainer. But in summary, these elite trainers may not have a humongous role in the story or adventure, but are overarching and all encompassing if the player wants to beat the game. It is very important that you beat the eight gym leaders and then beat the elite four and then beat the champion. It cannot be done in any other order. That's how, that's how the cookie crumbles. 
So a second, a second objective, if you will, is to adventure through the region to complete the story. What exactly does this mean? As said before, each region has a unique kind of, has unique areas to adventure through and stuff like that. So that means the stories vary from game to game because with different environments, different characters, all that kind of stuff, it's not gonna be the exact same story over and over again per se. However, the player will always begin as a, roughly speaking, 10 year old or 11 year old who has recently moved into a very, kind of hole in the wall, small town situated in some far corner of the region, meaning that you as the player haven't seen anything else the region has to offer. So then it lends itself to this really grand adventure because if you haven't been anywhere else except this town that you've just moved into, then it's like there's a whole world waiting for you kind of thing, very romantic notion. Pokemon as a franchise admittedly is quite formulaic, but the storylines themselves are distinct enough. And I will be describing that later in terms of what a typical story is like but not into the specifics because that that would be way too much content to go over however the only way to explain what a typical pokemon storyline entails revolves around its characters so let's put a pin on this objective of adventuring through the region to complete the story we're going to put a pin on that we're going to come back to that so let's skip over now to let's say the third objective in terms of the characters you need so you are expected to meet all these characters at some point because again it is a matter of progress if you don't do this you can't do this and you can't meet this character and not meeting this character means you can't do this it's all a matter of succession um, and completing certain objectives so you gotta kind of know some of the characters you gotta know who you're gonna meet and I'd say the first character I'm going to mention is a passive character. It's not so much related to like progressing through the game, but it's just there to mention. So I'm going to talk about the main constituents, the main, the kind of benchmark, uh, what's the word? The, the characters you will always meet in a Pokemon game. Without fail, there will be some version of this character in every Pokemon game. So starting off, there's the mom character, mom. Uh, so this character, they they live with you, they're your mother in the game. There's never an explanation for why there is no dad character in the majority of the games. And I say majority, I say this because there's only one trio of games that break this pattern in which you do actually have a dad, but I, that that's just a fun fact. In any case, your mom is usually there to encourage you to go on this journey to complete the Pokedex and have fun, I guess. She completely trusts her 10 year old kid just going through this like, whole like land or whatever and just catching pokemon and stuff i guess i don't know saving the world i guess the next major character players interact with is the professor character every region has what's called a pokemon professor who is usually an expert on pokemon in some field of study so for example maybe one will specialize in pokemon evolution or something like that um and um the professors of each region, because there's one per region for the most part, are the characters that provide the player with their very first Pokemon known as a starter Pokemon. And they also give uh, um, the player the Pokédex, giving the player the necessary tools to begin their adventure. The next major character, and unlike the mom character, is very important to both the story and the gameplay experience, is the rival character. 
In every game, without fail, you will always have a rival character. This character's background and history varies from game to game, but there'll be someone who lives in the same town as you and also begins their Pokemon journey at the same time as the player, so that makes them your neighbor and someone that you somewhat have a pre-established relationship with, unlike any other character you meet in the game. Throughout the game, the rival will spontaneously challenge the player, not at every point of the way. It's not like, let's say, after you beat a Pokemon gym, the rival will face you. But it can for some of the gyms, like maybe after the third gym, they'll challenge you or something like that. Uh, the rival um, uh, the rival character began as a more an antagonistic character uh, earlier in the franchise, but gradually became more of a friend rather than a competitive rival. However, this doesn't change the fact that the rival character will always be focused on beating the player and that's you so they're they aren't so much a hurdle as they are a test of strength along the way so you have things like gym leaders and trainers and stuff which i'll get into you have all these other people to face along the way but the trainer is so a rival character is a pre-established character that the um the uh you as the player actually know like there's there, there's a connection there right so it's almost a bit more personal when you face this trainer and you face them more than once so yeah next and this isn't a single character it's more of a collective there is always a villain team in a pokemon game uh, pokemon game so this is a collective of characters that has also had like experienced some changes in recent years in terms of how they appear um, in a Pokemon game, but as I've said, you will always have a villain team in a Pokemon game. Let's define that. So this is usually an antagonistic group of Pokemon trainers that respond in hostility to the player as they try and go about making life difficult for everyone in the region. They are technically a villain team. They might have possibly good intentions, but the way that they're going about doing it could be very bad, and it's usually a problem for, um, everyone. As many Pokemon players probably know, there are some really sinister teams that you can meet in some in certain games. And so like, like sometimes they, their teams are they're genuinely doing inhumane or like evil things, which is kind of crazy. That being said, the villain team usually does help to set the kind of broader story in motion. Because they exist, it's like it poses the player as the hero of the story, the heroic character, because you stopping the villain team, obviously it's like wow, you did this amazing thing, look how strong you are. Another validation of strength in this game, you know? Um, they help set the story in motion because their actions usually result in knowledge emerging about the legendary Pokemon of that region or some kind of other mythology about Pokemon or the land, things like that. Nevertheless, while the player is catching Pokemon and beating gym leaders, you will regularly have to deal with this group. This group isn't disorganized, they're actually for the most part, they're actually quite organized. They are actually stratified and have a pecking order. So let's talk about that pecking order. Um, at the bottom are grunts, who are many in number, but tend to have small teams of Pokemon and are not very difficult to defeat at first. So you'll find the most of they'll, they'll be in your way the most often. And then, uh, but as the player makes progress in the game, the grunts do as well. You're getting stronger, but so, so are they. Um, but at the same time, they are technically still relatively easy to deal with. Above them in rank are the team admins. So there are 
usually around four admins who are stronger than the grunts and tend to have stronger Pokemon overall. So if a grunt has, let's say at some point in the story, a level 15 Pokemon, the admin might have like a level 20. Uh, like the grunts, their teams also improve over time, but they are not the strongest trainers you face from a villain team. The strongest member of a villain team is the team's boss, um, who it's kind of self-explanatory. This is the person that runs the show. Keep in mind that regarding the Pokemon of uh, uh, the kind of Pokemon that villain teams use, it tends to vary between types like poison or dark, but they don't tend to use only one type. In any case, the boss is usually the character you face before the last gym. You face them more than once as well through the game. So like other than the rival, for example, they're the, the boss, the villain, bo the, the villain boss is the one of the other notable characters you face more than once that actually has a name to them. They're not just like named like team, whatever the name of the team is, Grunt. They actually have a name. So lastly, you have trainers. So these are non-playable characters or NPCs the player interacts with in order to facilitate battles as you as the player travels. There are many types of trainers in a Pokemon region and that usually helps to indicate their strength. It is common to find trainers of uh, higher classes later in the game, while classes of lower ranked trainers appear earlier in the game. So let's say for example, you find there's like a trainer class known as Youngster and they're the ones you find like right off the bat. They are lower ranked. You get later in the game and you'll find someone with a trainer class known as um, Ace Trainer. So they're obviously, it, it does indicate some strength. Uh, these trainer characters, they don't have a role in the story, but they exist as like a way for the player to become stronger, acquire money, like that. It's pretty surface, a, a surface level purpose. So now let's return to the typical story of a Pokemon game. So this is the adventuring part. A main objective is that you get through the story of a Pokemon game. So let's let's try and get through this um, long explanation. The player begins in a small town having recently moved in with their mother character. The players are usually forced to meet with the professor of that region. I mean, maybe not forced, but it's like one thing leads to another and that's what ends up happening in order to set things in motion. You meet the professor of that region who suggests that the player embark on this journey to complete the Pokedex, catch Pokemon, have fun. The, pro the professor provides the player with a choice between three different Pokemon, each one assigned to one of the three elemental types of fire, water, grass. These are starter Pokemon. Um, after, the po after the player makes their choice, as you can only pick one, the rival will either pick the Pokemon that is stronger than yours or pick the one that is weaker than yours. It depends from game to game. So let's say you pick the fire type, the rival might pick the grass type or the water type. Um, these Pokemon, as I said, are known with starter Pokemon and that's because they are the Pokemon you start with. This doesn't mean that you have to use your starter Pokemon for the remainder of the game, but it's very common for anyone who plays a Pokemon game to use that with them until the end of the game. The rival, the rival character helps to teach the player um, basics such as what Pokemon are, how to catch Pokemon, and also challenges you to your first rival battle, which can happen anytime before you face your first trainer in the wild, or maybe after you face one or two trainers in the wild. Once the player has acquired Pokeballs, 
typically that's when the journey begins because that's when you have the chance to use something other than your starter Pokemon. As mentioned before, there are certain checkpoints in places like the gyms that determine how strong the player becomes. Uh, but I'd say the majority of a Pokemon game is the player just traveling from one place to the next. Players travel along what are known as routes, usually numbered in numerical but not chronological order, which are areas that con uh, like they connect point A to point B. For example, there is a route in between Twin Leaf Town and Sand Gem Town, which are the first two towns the player can go to um, in Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. You move into Twin Leaf Town, and as the story kind of picks up, progresses, and you need to go start, you need to start going to places. The next place you go to is Sand Gem Town. Routes are areas that vary in environment, so there are a number of environments to traverse in a given region. So, using another example. In Sinnoh, the, in Diamond and Pearl, uh, you find Snow Point City in the far kind of northern peak of the region, but to the more southern uh, area, you find Pastoria City. Snow Point is true to its name because it's literally at the point, the farthest like tip, and it's covered in snow, while Pastoria City is located near rainy marshes. So you can, you can see that there's like obviously different kinds of environments to adventure to. Um, to a certain degree, the kind of Pokemon you find on a route varies from one route to the other, sometimes with this added factor of environment, but that, that is what it is. Cities are major markers in the region and are like, they're, they're city centers, right? You think of some place like um, New York, for example, or something, uh, and are usually unique in population, design, and size, and it is the major cities that house gyms. There are unique locations as well in a region that aren't, um, and these are genuinely unique in the sense that it's not, you will not find the exact location in another game. Um, and these are usually areas where the legendary Pokemon will appear. One example of this is in Pokemon Diamond and Pearl's location known as Spear Pillar, where the legendary Pokemon actually appear. The story gradually builds from the player's starting point and often you are expected to do certain things before heading to the city that has the first gym. Uh, a, a Pokemon game is never as straightforward as, okay, beat this gym, okay, move to next gym, okay, I did that, time to beat the third gym. It's not, it's not as linear as that. There's usually always stuff to do in between, which means the pacing of a Pokemon game really varies. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff to do um, before the first gym. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff that happens in between the first and second gym, for example. Other times the gyms happen in quick succession, like you'll face the third gym, then suddenly the fourth gym will be immediately after that kind of thing. Like there's not much time in between. Uh, but again, there's a lot of things that vary when I talk about these kind of details. As the players completing their Pokedex, going from city to city, blah, 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 the villain team is simultaneously planning something sinister. So the player finds themselves battling this villain team from time to time. And usually after the first two times that you face the grunts, for example, you will face the admins for the first time. And then sometime later, you will finally face the boss for the first time, but it won't be the only time you face the boss, you know? And the same goes for the admins. Um, uh, so the thing is that you're, your um, rival is usually ahead of you in your travels. They're, they're, maybe they've already beaten a gym before you too. So they meet up with you at certain points in the story and in between traveling to battle you. 
As you meet more characters and acquire more gym badges, the players, they, they, you learn some kind of origin story referring to the legendary Pokemon of the region, some kind of mythology and things like that. This denotes that the player will encounter this rare Pokemon at some point and that there will need to be some steps taken in order to get to that point in the story. But technically, it's fairly straightforward. The player travels, they collect items, you battle trainers, catch more Pokemon, focus on beating the gym leaders, like you do all that same stuff. Um, usually before the final and the eighth and final gym, or possibly before the eighth gym, the villain team has gotten far enough in their plans to cause trouble for the whole region, posing a greater threat to society, maybe the universe in some cases. Uh, this is usually done through some kind of large weapon, maybe it's the boss's plan to weaponize the legendary Pokemon, or potentially the boss's idea that they can control the legendary Pokemon for whatever suits their purposes. The player is required to deal with the villain team and stop them from enacting these evil plans, if you will, defeat the admins and the boss, and then confront the legendary Pokemon. So after either defeating or capturing the legendary Pokemon, the player can resume their journey to beat the Pokemon League, and peace returns to the land as the villain team either disrupts operations or they go into hiding. The player continues on their journey to build up a team strong enough to fight the Elite Four and Champion after beating all eight gyms. The game is beat once the player beats the Champion and enters the Hall of Fame, which records the Pokemon used to defeat the Champion and herald the player as the new champion. Some games have what is called like a post-game scenario, which refers to this kind of minor storyline that follows the events of the main story. And it would happen after you've beaten the champion and become champion yourself. Technically, once the game is beat and even with the completion of this post-game scenario, there is nothing left for the player to do in a sense. That being said, this is usually the time when players, you know, should consider catching as many Pokemon as possible if they didn't have the chance to do so earlier. There are certain aspects to Pokemon in which you can take things at your own pace, but you do have to play the game in accordance to the storyline. But it's like, you know, after you beat the game, sometimes you can just kind of like do whatever you want. And this is something, I wouldn't say it's an objective, so that, that covers the objectives. But let me address one big question. Is there a way to lose in a Pokemon game? No, not really. So the thing is, is that um, there there is a way for you to lose a battle, for example. So if you enter a battle with a trainer and your entire team faints, because as I mentioned before, every Pokemon has a certain number of hit points, health points, whatever you want to call it. And if that ever goes to zero, it means the Pokemon is fainted, they're not dead. It means that they're fainted, which means unless you have an item that can um, uh, revive them, which is ironically the name of that item is called a revive. If you don't have something like that in, uh, in your bag, if you don't have that item with you, then that Pokemon can't wake back up and fight. It's basically so exhausted, it's passed out, so you need to heal it back up. But if your entire team is wiped out like that and you don't have the items to heal everyone back up, um, that is how you lose a Pokemon battle. So the end result of something like that would be losing some money and the game will drop you off at like the Pokemon Center. So whatever the nearest healing um, facility there is, in the most like recently traveled city you went to for example um it'll just take you back there so you will need to beat that trainer all over again like you have to go through the battle a second time in order to 
get past that trainer. So there's no technically like you don't there's no game over. But if you keep losing, like you keep your team keeps fainting to trainers, then obviously you can't really progress anywhere because sometimes there's like trainers that you face and because as i mentioned before the moment they lock eyes with the player's avatar there's no running right so sometimes the game does put certain trainers in a position where you can't run around them or like hide from them kind of thing like you can't get past like you can't keep going unless you pass the trainer in which case you like you could get stuck and the thing is, is that if this happens while you are facing the Elite Four, this is more of a special scenario than it is commonplace in the game. If you're facing the Elite Four, for example, and your entire team has fainted, then it brings you back to the very beginning. So when I mentioned the whole thing about beating the Elite Four and the Champion and how it's about high risk, high reward, and you have to do everything in immediate succession, it's because you, if you faint, so if you technically lose to any of the elite four members at any point or the champion it'll just bring you back right to the very beginning meaning you have to face like basically five full teams of pokemon that are all individually very strong which is a lot of math and a lot of fighting to do and it's not the kind of thing you want to keep doing over and over again so uh yeah that's an important thing to keep in mind which is that you technically can't ever lose like there's no game over scenario but you can be halted in in your game progress if you don't if you keep losing pokemon battles if that makes sense so this is obviously a lot to take in but i'd say that everything i've discussed these are the major aspects of a core series pokemon game and you know all this all this like terminology and stuff i'm throwing around feel free to look up anything if you're confused and I'd also like to reiterate that what I've explained, this is like the basic formula. There have been tweaks and changes here and there, some more permanent than others to the formula. And I've definitely left out some details for the sake of being concise. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot going on in Pokemon. Um, if there was anything that happened to be missing from this introduction, I'll be sure to mention it in later episodes featuring content on Pokemon. Uh, just thank you so much for being so patient. This is the Lord Research Lab's findings on what is there to know about Pokemon from Pokemon. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>